Are you ready to bust out of the rut you're in? Do you want to take your life to a whole nother level? You aren't going to make significant change by doing what you've always done. You need a breakthrough, a circuit breaker. I've had some pretty big challenges and some pretty big breakthroughs in my life over the last few years, and I've found that the best way to break through, the best way to elevate my life is to challenge myself, to do something a bit scary, whether it be running an ultramarathon, jumping out of a plane, or speaking on stage to a thousand people. Every time I take on a challenge, I grow. And I grow not just in one area, but in every area of my life. And I didn't just jump out of the plane by myself, I jumped in tandem with an expert, someone who'd done it thousands of times before, someone who knew how to prepare and who knew how to execute. If you're ready to transform, if you're ready for exponential growth in your life, then head to www.drbretthill.com and check out Kokoda Elevation. It might be just the challenge you're looking for. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Melissa Njulwan. She's on a mission to be super fit, well-fed, dressed to kill, glossy-haired, and she's a rock and roll tart-tongued detective. I love that. I was reading her website, getting incredibly amused by the 10 things you probably should know about her, and I thought I'd share a couple. That She's a retired roller girl. Um, she says the sillier the workout, the happier she is, which I think is fantastic, um, and she only has one-third of a thyroid. Oh, poor Melissa. So we're going to have to talk about your poor little thyroid as we go along, but welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm really excited too. I was just telling you off air that as I was reading through and doing the research for this uh, for this podcast, I, I hadn't actually even realized and made the connection between you and your book, Well Fed, which is a book that I read ages ago and absolutely loved. It's an awesome book. So we'll have to talk some more about that as we go along as well. Um, but, but I'm incredibly excited for this podcast too, Melissa. So let's start from the start, Melissa. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up being the Melissa Jewel One. <laughs> that is a long story, but I will try to condense it. <laughs> um, I grew up in a really small town with a dad who owned a restaurant and a mom who was an awesome cook. And I was just doing some family research um, leading up to my dad's 70th birthday and realized that he owned a restaurant, my grandfather owned a restaurant, and a bunch of my grandfather's brothers also owned restaurants. And my great-grandmother was a cook in a restaurant. So you get the picture. Food is a really it's, big deal. It's in the genes. <laughs> it's in the genes. Um, but no one in my family was athletic. So there wasn't a lot of... There wasn't a lot of, there was no attention paid to (laughs) how to eat for, you know, good health or energy or body composition or any of that. Um, It was always just how do things taste and what do we feel like eating right now, which, you know, is awesome if you like to eat, which I do, Um, but which did pose some problems because I was a really overweight kid. And by the time I graduated from college, I was obese and really not feeling very good. Um, but I always knew how to cook, which when we get later in the story is going to turn out to be a bonus. (laughs) But when I graduated from college in the early nineties, I was just sick of not feeling good. You know, um, 
people made fun of me all the time. Like strangers feel very welcome to make comments on your body shape when you're overweight. And it was just that added to just really feeling, you know, low energy and kind of puffy and lethargic all the time. I was just over it. So I decided that I was going to learn how to take care of myself and learn how to eat. And I was going to start exercising. So for people who are a little older, like me, you might remember Kathy Smith, the aerobics person from the 80s and 90s. And I was watching this infomercial in the middle of the night one night. I mean, it's like the worst stereotype ever. <laughs> this infomercial about how you can change your life with the Kathy Smith nutrition and exercise plan. And I picked up the phone and I called and I got it. And it's really silly and it makes me laugh. But that is what started me on this path of learning how to take care of myself. And it was pretty, you know, it was the 90s. So it was, you know, high carb, low fat approach. But there was also a lot of attention paid to making sure that you built your meals around protein and making sure that you ate lots of vegetables and learning how to exercise. And like that was all really valuable. But I would work out with these VHS tapes and like close the curtains and no one was allowed to come in the room when I was exercising. No one could watch me. And I eventually learned that I really, really liked to work out. Like it felt awesome to move. And the more I did it, the easier it got because you know, when I was a kid, I thought I was a klutz. And now I know it's, it's just because I wasn't moving enough and I wasn't strong and I didn't know how to like work my balance and catch myself when I was going to fall. So I learned that I really like to work out and I learned a little bit about how to feed myself. And once that happened, I was all about it. Like suddenly I wanted to do everything. So I was doing step aerobics and kickboxing and I eventually did a triathlon and I did long distance cycling and everything. I wanted to do all of it. <laughs> and um, I moved to Austin, Texas in um, 2000. And that is when I joined the roller derby, which I never would have done if I hadn't learned that I like to work out. Um, and that was really fun because that was the first time I ever played a team sport. And the other thing that was really great about roller derby is, you know, I, over the years I've, you know, lost as much as 50 pounds and then gained some of it back. And one of the things that's great about roller derby is that having a little bit more mass on your body is a huge advantage <laughs> because, you're much, much harder to knock down. I was a blocker. So my job was to get in the way of other people and to knock them down. And it was, it was really good for like our self-esteem, I think, to have audience members come up and be like, oh, you're one of the big girls. You're hard to knock down. And like, that was the <laughs> first time that anyone had ever thought that, you know, having a little extra meat on my bones was an advantage. You know? So it just really changed the way I thought about myself and what I could do. And, you know, I think women in particular spend a lot of time trying to make themselves smaller and take up less space. And it was really cool to be like, I am big and I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just like, you know, using your strengths, you know, it's like, yeah. this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And how can I make that work for me? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah so that, that was really fun. Um, but I also was still in the pursuit of trying to get leaner, even though I loved playing roller derby and like I wasn't hating on my body anymore, I still wanted to get leaner. And so when I retired from roller derby, I started doing CrossFit. And that was another huge transformation because 
I was doing things I literally never done before, you know, lifting barbells and learning how to do handstands against the wall. It was so funny. I distinctly remember the day handstands were in the workout and they were like, you know, just like you did when you were a kid. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I was really chubby and I played the piano and sat under the tree with a book. Like I was not doing handstands. <laughs> so it was really fun at like, oh, I think it was like 44 when I finally learned how to do a handstand against the wall, which felt amazing i'm looking forward um, to that day melissa i'm, I'm doing crossfit yeah. myself over the last six months and right kicking up to the wall for the handstand push-up is not my strength yeah yeah it's well it's really scary to go upside down because you kind of have that weightless feeling in between that you just don't really have any other time in yeah. your life um and the thing that here's my little tip the thing that actually made me able to do it is there was this this assistant coach at our gym who was not, I mean, he was really strong, not graceful at all. And I watched him doing handstand one day and he planted his hands and like threw his body against the wall. I mean, it went like thunk into the wall, but it, <laughs> he stayed. And I was just like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, if you just throw yourself at the wall, the wall's going to catch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the wall's going to win, right? Yeah. So that's the thing that finally made me like comfortable doing it. Just like throw your ass at that wall and it will land. So that's my tip to you. Nice. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Free advice. Um, yeah. So CrossFit. Yeah. Really changed everything for me. Um, I lost a bunch of body fat and I finally like got into the physical shape that I really wanted to be in. And I was feeling really, really good. Like I felt confident. I was loving how strong I felt. I loved the workouts. I was following the zone diet at that point. So um, I had taken out grains because for people who aren't familiar with the zone, it's 40% carbs, 30% fat, 30% protein, which uh, will drive you crazy if you don't like to track your food. But I was doing that. And the deal with the zone is, you know, you get a really tiny pile of rice or something if you eat starches. But if you eat vegetables, you get huge piles. And I love to eat big piles <laughs> of food. So I had stopped eating grains when I started doing CrossFit because I was doing the zone and I wanted to be able to eat more volume. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's what I was doing. And I got really fit and really lean and I felt fantastic until one day I just really didn't. I started to not feel well, just really low energy. I would do fine in a workout and then come home and fall asleep for like four hours. Like somebody who'd whack me on the head with a frying pan. I mean, just super lethargic. And I went to the doctor and, you know, we talked about my diet. We talked about exercise and everybody agreed I was doing all the right things. And then he palpitated my throat and he found a nodule on my thyroid. Mm. And he was like, mm, yeah, I think you need to go and have an ultrasound because I didn't know anything about anything. I was like, I don't even know what that means. But what it turns out it means is that it could be thyroid cancer. Mm. So I had to go and have an ultrasound like immediately. And the ear, nose and throat doctor was like, oh, yes, you need to have surgery next week. Like that, like right now, yeah. you need to get that thing taken out um, because when they're it was very large. When they're small, they can do a needle biopsy and you don't have to have the thing removed to find out if it's cancer or not. And when they're small, they don't really worry about them. They just monitor them. But mine was really big because apparently I have to do everything a million percent. Um, so I had to have my thyroid taken out. The happy news is that it was not cancerous. So that's awesome. But the bad news is that suddenly I was hypothyroid because most of yeah. my thyroid was removed. <laughs> 
So not, they're very important people. You don't want to rip out your thyroid, believe me. Um, so that kind of started a 18 month odyssey of trying to find the right doctor and find the right medication. Um, I went through almost two years of just kind of no energy, cold all the time. My hair got really thin. It really sucked to go from like the best shape of my life to terrible. Um, but that was mm, seven years ago. Uh And it's been this slow journey of like learning how to take care of myself now. And of course, you know, every day your body is different anyway. So (laughs) as I'm aging, I'm kind of having to adjust some more. Um, but I finally reached the point where I feel like I know how to take care of myself. I can't do CrossFit anymore, but I found a lot of other physical activities that I love to do. I'm very into yoga these days and yoga presents its own kind of challenges. It's really awesome and interesting. And so I just kind of replace the commitment to really intense workouts to the commitment to workouts that are really good for my body now. Nice. Melissa, there's so much stuff there. There's so many things I want to talk to you about in that story. Um, let's First of all, let's go right back to the start. You know, I'm kind of fascinated. You were saying that as a child, you were an obese child um, and that people felt just perfectly okay with coming up and making comments to you about your weight. Oh, yeah. I find that astounding. Like, I, I, I am one of those really annoying people who you probably hate, Melissa, that when I was young, I could eat whatever I wanted. I ate all sorts of rubbish and I was always <laughs> as skinny as a rake. Like, it seemed like the more rubbish I ate, the skinnier I got. It just it didn't yeah. make sense. And so, for me, I, I can't fathom the idea of people coming up to me and making comments about my weight um, and I can't fathom how why someone would do that or what sort of comments yeah. they could make. So, like, what sort of comments were you actually getting from people? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty stunning. I distinctly, okay, so for people like I know, like people will say things like, I had a guidance counselor one time say to me, you you know, you have such a pretty face, it's really too bad that you're overweight. I was, I was you know, 15 years old. Like, I mean, what? You're adi- yeah. like now as an adult? I'm like, who says that? Like, yeah, that's especially crazy a, gui- talk. a guidance counselor, like that guidance very title counselor. suggests that you should be, you know, guiding and counseling. That that doesn't seem like yeah. very apt. Yeah, and and I had a gym teacher. So when I when I was a freshman in high school, I was actually very thin because the summer before I started high school, my parents sent me to a Weight Watchers camp. Um, and that was like, I, like the day they told me I was going to Weight Watchers camp, I was devastated. Like it was really scary to think, A, my parents think there's something wrong with me. Like I'm too fat. I have to go to camp and get fixed. Yeah. And B, I was 13. I'd never really been away from home before. And I was like, are they going to starve me? Are they going to make me like run 20 miles a day? Like what is going to happen to me at this mysterious Weight Watchers camp? Like I had no idea. Um, It turned out to be really fun because I was there with a bunch of other fat kids. It was great. Nobody was making fun of us. And we got to (laughs) play all day and do sports. And like I learned I like to play tennis. and, And like we had Weight Watchers meetings we were supposed to go to. But some of the older cool girls would skip. And they let me hang out with them. And, like, we would skip the Weight Watchers meeting. And it was, like, the first time I ever did anything rebellious. <laughs> so, like, that turned out to be really fun. Um, but when I went back to high school that year, it was like, whoa, because here I am, like, 14, perfect skin, long blonde hair, skinny, starting to get some boobs. Like, I looked really good. Yeah. And got a lot of attention. 
Um, but by the time I graduated from high school and the kind of, you know, Melissa's on a diet project was over, I'd gained back some of the weight and I was still not super athletic. And my senior year of high school, I had a gym teacher where we have to, in the United States, we had to do this um, president's physical fitness test where you had to like run and be timed and you had to like <laughs> hang from a bar in a chin up position and be timed, like all this stuff that like, if you don't train for it, you can't really do it. Yeah. But they would just like, you know, we'd be playing like dumb volleyball or something all year. And then there'd be this week where we have to get tested on everything. So we had to run around the gym and get timed. And I was, I mean, I was, I thought I was going to die. I was huffing and puffing so hard. I didn't run ever. And I was like the last person to finish. And the gym teacher was just like, Jewel Juan, you are pathetic. How can you not be able to run around this gym? Like in front of, you know, 40 other teenagers. I mean, terrible stuff. So I don't really know why people feel like they have the right to do that. And I find it pretty disgusting because there's so much of value in everyone to judge them by what their body looks like, what their body can do, what they eat is just really reprehensible to me. Yeah. You know, to, to, to just drill someone down to just what their physical body looks like is just awful and misguided. Yeah. It's astounding, isn't it? And I'm sure there are people, many people listening in who've had similar experiences. Um, and so I think your words are, are awesome for them, Melissa, and for them to understand that that's not okay. And that those, those comments don't define them. Those comments define the person who made the comment. It's not the person who received the comments. So I think it's really important exactly. for people to understand. Um, you went on to talk about uh, your your Kathy Smith workouts. You know, just <laughs> we we attract a lot of younger listeners being podcasts. You know, the modern sort of technologies. So for those younger listeners, just so you know, you know, before Netflix, you could sort of digitally download <laughs> stuff. You know, before that, we had Blu-rays. Before that, we had DVDs. And before that, there was this thing called VHS. So you know, it, it was this big clunky little box that you put into the machine. And uh, so for those who didn't know what a VHS was, Melissa, I just thought we better just you know let them know. But but I was imagining those workouts. And I was imagining you, you kind of, you know, lycra clad with the the leggings and the leg warmers and the, but but it was the it was the nineties, wasn't it? It wasn't quite the old yes. school eighties ones. Yeah, I was not wearing like the high cut leg leotard and leg warmers. <laughs> That's, that was <laughs> the I, visual picture I got when you started talking about the I, old school exercise programs. I did have, so I was super duper into after Kathy Smith. I was really really into Reebok Step workouts. And for a while, Reebok actually sold shoes and outfits to wear for their step workouts that were very similar to what the people in the workout videos wore. And I am not too proud to say that I had a couple of those things and they were onesies. It was like, they were like bike shorts on the bottom and then like a bodysuit and a mock turtleneck and either short sleeve or sleeveless and it zipped up the back. And I put that thing on and worked out in my living room because that's how cool I am. Nice. I love it. Now, Melissa, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about roller derby? Because I'm kind of fascinated by roller derby. Like I've always, you know, you see pictures of it on social media and stuff and I always think that just looks like really fun, you know, and they seem to be, I don't know, for some reason whenever I see pictures of it, the, the roller derby girls and and I'm sure there's guys as well, but but they seem to be quite uh, outgoing. You know, they, they seem to have quite yeah. large personalities, and it seems like it would just be a really fun thing to do. But I have no idea what they actually do. So, yeah. what, what is roller derby? <laughs> 
So it is really, really fun. And when I joined the like roller derby resurgence was just starting, I helped found the Texas Roller Girls in Austin, Texas. And that was the first flat track roller derby league anywhere. Because back in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s, they skated on a a big wooden track with banked sides. Mm -hmm. And those tracks are really expensive and hard to move around. So we skated on a flat track. I actually know the girl, Electra Blue, who took the dimensions of the bank track and then using a CAD program figured out how to recreate it on a flat surface so it would be the right dimensions. And that's what we skated on. That's clever. Um, so the way it works, the way the, the game works is that each team has a jammer and that's the person who's earning the points. And there are five blockers and so on each team. So we're all skating in a big pack and the jammers are in the back of the pack and they're trying to make their way through this moving pack of skaters. And every time they pass someone from the opposite team, they get a point. Opposite team is trying to knock them down. Mm-hmm. And my job as a blocker was to knock down the other team's jammer and also to protect my jammer and move her through the pack so that she could get more points. And that's all happening as everyone is moving around the track. So everybody's skating pretty fast and then the jammers are sprinting through and trying to earn points. So, so it seems like it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like gridiron but without a ball. You just you just yes. trying to like force your way through. Trying to get your way uh, through. And the thing about the personalities which is was really fun is that we kind of borrowed from professional wrestling and the early days of roller derby where people would just take on personas. So roller girls make up a new name and you can make up a persona that goes along with that name. <laughs> and in my day we had we had team colors but we didn't all wear the same uniform. So you could really customize. Now they're much more athletic and and they kind of all wear team uniforms. And we can wear whatever we wanted. So I just decided that I was going to be like this tough glamour girl who might slit your throat (laughs) but look super glamorous (laughs) while she did it. And like It it does sound like lots of fun. Hey, Melissa, I'd love to ask you a little bit about your experience with CrossFit as well because – it seems from what you've been saying that, you know, your body type may be more of that sort of endomorph body type. And mm-hmm. and I know for some girls who, who have that sort of body shape, who take on CrossFit, they can have a tendency to get pretty big, you know, and pretty muscly. And, mm-hmm. and some girls love that. and That's great. And they mm-hmm. love that sort of physical presence. And, and perhaps the, you know, the blockers and the roller girls would love to be able to, to have that and to use that. Um, but other girls find that, you know, that that's not quite the sort of exercise that works for them or that's not quite, you know, it doesn't fit in with their goals for health and wellness. How did you find that side of it with CrossFit? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I did uh, CrossFit. And at the time I was also running and I got really lean and looked super cute. <laughs> I have to say, I looked really cute then. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty short, and I have short legs. But things just kind of got like lean and taut when I was doing CrossFit, which I really liked. Um, the issue with CrossFit for me is that I think, you know, I was, as I said, I was, I was doing the zone, and I was doing CrossFit. Um, I think four times a week, and then I was also running, and it was just too much like is too much demand on my body to be working out that intensely and also kind of dieting at the same time like now in hindsight I'm like oh I should have been eating much more than I was eating like I just kind of killed my adrenal system and that's what ultimately killed my thyroid um but physically it really worked for me and I really liked it and I loved that um I like that that powerful feeling of lifting 
heavy barbells and trying things like handstands that were terrifying, but I was determined that I was going to try them anyway. Um, and I think in that sense, CrossFit is really, really valuable because I think it does kind of push people out of their comfort zone and show them that they are, are capable of more than, you know, the elliptical trainer or an aerobics class that they, you know, definitely I love those things too. And I would still do them, but I feel like CrossFit kind of shows you, you can do more if you want to. Yeah. Nice. I love that. And once again, it, it depends on the personality type. You know, some people love yep. that challenge and thrive on it. You know, other people, they just like the slower stuff and, and they don't want to have that mm-hmm. sort of competitive nature that can come with CrossFit as well. So let's talk about your thyroid, Melissa, because that's obviously been a huge deal for you. Um, the first question I've got for you, you know, as you were talking about that, having that thyroid removed is, um, you know, if you're in that same position again now, knowing what you know now, would you still go and have that surgery and have that, that mm-hmm. chunk of your thyroid removed? I mean, I think I, given the size of it, I would have to, Mm. I think that eventually my thyroid was going to clonk out anyway. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, I mean, anytime you hear the word cancer, (laughs) I think you kind of freak out a little bit or like, ah, this needs to be fixed immediately. Um, so yeah, I think if I was going to do anything differently, Um, I was not working with an endocrinologist or a functional medicine doctor at the time that I had it removed. I just went to my GP and he referred me to an ear, nose and throat specialist to do the surgery. Neither of them was an expert in dealing with endocrinology, thyroid hormones or nutrition or exercise. And all of those things really come into play when you're dealing with something like the thyroid because it's affected by everything and it affects everything. So like as soon as I got as soon as my stitches healed, I went straight back to CrossFit and probably what I should have done was taken a few months and gone for some walks and done some yoga and made sure that my dream properly before I went back to demanding so much of my body. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of my habits have been driven by the fact that I was a fat kid and I wanted to be, you know, my whole life I wanted to be skinny. That's all I wanted. And now with a much more mature attitude, you know, I want to feel good. I want to be happy and I want to be as healthy as I can. And if my body can look good while I do that too, that would be great. But getting to a particular size can't be my number one priority anymore because I got bigger fish to fry with this thyroid thing. I love that. And I think that's really the key to it, isn't it? It's about figuring out what your goals are and what you want out of life and and how you can have a lifestyle that helps you achieve what you want rather than, I guess, you know, some of those external pressures that can come from society about how you look and what size you are and what weight you are and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, so you mentioned, Melissa, that, uh, that, you know, you had to adjust your lifestyle and, and that, you know, one of those things you did was stopping doing CrossFit and starting to do some lower intensity exercise. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what else has come into that with you? What, what else have you had to adjust to, you know, to, to change your lifestyle knowing now that you only have, you know, one third of your thyroid left, but also right. that, that perhaps some of those lifestyle factors that led you to that position needed to change as well. Right. Um, you know, I've, I think when I was younger, I, particularly when I was first starting to exercise. And I, you know, I think when you're first starting out, it is really important sometimes to be disciplined just for discipline's sake, because you're trying to set a new habit, right? And when you're starting a new habit, sometimes you have to like grate your teeth and do it, even if it's not the thing you want to do. So I think that my kind of stubbornness and my, you know, competitiveness with myself really helped me in the beginning because it helped me stick to my commitment to 
really change my habits. But that also kind of bit me in the butt a little bit later because I have always been one of those people where like this amount is good, then X squared is better. <laughs> and X squared isn't always better. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's been a real learning experience that like the, I remember I had this friend that I worked with in San Francisco in the late nineties, we worked on the internet stuff. And that was like such a fun time to be in San Francisco, like doing the internet and we were going to change the world. And I can remember the two of us having a conversation and we were like kind of patting ourselves on the back because we really love to do things the super hard way. <laughs> and now I'm like, <laughs> what was wrong with us? Like, why did we want to do everything? Like we were really taking so much pride in doing things the hard way. And so I think I've just learned an appreciation for, you know, sometimes things are hard and you got to gut it up and do them. But generally speaking, why not make things gentler for yourself? Everything doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't always have to be a big struggle. Sometimes it can be nice and still be effective. So that's kind of where I am now. I'm trying to really do the things that I need to do to take care of myself, but not define myself by, you know, how, how much or how little I ate in a particular day or how much or how little I put on the barbell on a particular day, because really, I just want to have a great life and being really hard on yourself is not the way to do that. I love that. That's perfect, Mel. Now, it would be remiss of us to get to the end of this interview without talking about your books. Um, you've got three of the Well-Fed Books series, and they're fantastic books. They're so much more than just a recipe book. They've got so much information in there. Can you tell us a little bit about how they came about and, and what people can expect from those books? Sure. Um, the three cookbooks, um, Well-Fed, Well-Fed 2, and my new one, which just came out, Well-Fed Weeknights, are literally the things that my husband and I eat. So there are no recipes in there that we haven't eaten a bajillion times. Um, and the recipe, the cookbooks came about simply because I was doing my blog and kind of sharing what I was eating. And this was way back in 2009, 2010, before there were, you know, dozens of good paleo cookbooks out there. And people would just started saying, you know, Hey, I really like your recipes. Would you ever think about doing a cookbook? And, one day over breakfast, my husband and I were like, you know what, we could use a creative project outside of work that we're really excited about. And that would be really fun to work on. Maybe we should do a cookbook. And that's what we did. I still had a full time job. He was still a full time freelancer. And we just, you know, put together recipes on the weekends. And he would go shopping on Friday when I was at work. And then on the weekends, we would take the photos. And eventually, I was able to finish writing the first book. And we self-published because I'd written a, a book about roller derby that was published with a big publisher. And um, I loved writing the book, but the big publisher thing just really didn't work out for me. And <laughs> I'm, I'm too rebellious to work with a big corporation. Um, so we decided to self-publish and we put the book out. And like three months later, I was like, I'm going to have to quit my full-time job to keep up with everything that's happening huh? since this book came out. And so... Now that's what both of us do full time. We run our little well-fed business and um, the cookbooks, as you said, are filled with recipes. But also I know that I 
am really fortunate and different in that I grew up in a family where everyone knows how to cook and where cooking mm. was like something that happened on the regular with our whole family. So I really tried with these books to explain how I put recipes together and to explain a lot about what to listen for and what to look for and how to use your nose when you're cooking so that for people who don't naturally know how to cook, they'll be able to be successful with recipes and hopefully get to the point where they can kind of riff on them and not and know how to like put a meal together sometimes without a recipe. Because ultimately that's what you want is to be able to just grab some ingredients and make something that tastes really good. Yeah. I think I'm finally getting to that stage, Melissa. It's taken me a long while of, you know, slowly learning how to cook. But I, th- I think I'm finally mm-hmm. getting to the stage I can actually make meals without a recipe card in front of me. It's, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> well, Melissa. Well, I was, oh, now I feel like when I make myself something good to eat, I'm like, I am awesome. Look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, total pats on the back. It's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on with us, Melissa. It's been a, a fantastic, entertaining chat. I've really enjoyed this episode. Um, people are going to want to find out more about you. So, um, obviously, they can head to your website. They'll find all the books and, and all the information about you there. And it's meljulwan.com. And that's uh, M-E-L-J-O-U-L-W-A-N.com. Um, and you love Twitter. So, those who people who are all over <laughs> Twitter can head there. They can find out all about Mel. They can chat to her and tweet her and, and do all those lovely things people do on Twitter. And um, and so they can really interact with you there, which will be lots of fun. So thank you so much for coming on board today, Mel. Thank you. It was really great. And so for everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com. And let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.